Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Psychology, a podcast produced by the American Psychological Association. I'm your host, Caitlin Luna. I'm joined by Dr. Thomas Insel, a psychiatrist and neuroscientist who's co-founder and president of MindStrong Health, a company that is using mobile technology to diagnose and treat behavioral health disorders. Prior to MindStrong, Dr. Insel was a longtime director of the National Institute of Mental Health. Welcome, Dr. Insel. Thank you, Caitlin. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for, for joining us today. Um, so at the 2018 APA convention, you, were, you gave a talk with a provocative title called Smartphones Are a Problem, Can They Be a Solution? And every day we hear about how smartphones are impacting our attention spans, relationships, a number of things, our health overall. Um, but they're really our lifelines. We use them to get wherever we need to go, whatever we need. So how can they be a solution if they are a problem? Well, Caitlin, the way that you frame that, I think, is exactly the way we think about it. They have become a lifeline. They become a way that we navigate the world. It's probably not too strong to say that we live on our phones or we live through our phones. Not making a value judgment here, but that is, uh, for better or worse, the state of play for most people, especially younger people in the U.S. and increasingly around the world. In uh, behavioral health broadly, we've spent much of the last five decades trying to understand how to measure how people are doing. Mm -hmm. And the way we usually do that is we say, how are you feeling? In the hopes that we will get from them a reply that will help us to assess their level of functioning over the previous days, weeks, or months. For the first time, we actually have a way of looking directly at how they're functioning by using the device that is their lifeline, that is the way in which they're living. We've never been able to do that before, and smartphones give us this kind of unprecedented opportunity to get a window directly into how somebody's functioning without having to use a paper and pencil test, without having to get them to guesstimate for us, like with the PHQ-9, how they've been feeling over the previous two weeks. We can actually look every day over the previous two weeks and know exactly how they're doing in terms of how they're managing the world around them. And can you walk us through the MindStrong apps? You're talking about what we'll know from those apps. Can you tell me how they work? Well, what MindStrong did was actually um, not to begin around behavioral health. The birth of the company came about because our founder, Paul Dagum, was in a different realm altogether. He was in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And the question he was posing was, uh, in cybersecurity, is there a way to track hackers? Is there a way to identify individuals, not by how they're posting a username or where their address is, but by how they type? And he was able to develop that. It's a tool now called behavioral analytics, very important in the forensic area of cybersecurity. And Paul developed this with the hope of being able to create a sort of robust uh, mechanism for identifying individuals. He called it a digital fingerprint. When his company was bought and he was looking for the next opportunity to use digital fingerprinting, he thought maybe we could use this in healthcare. His background was as a physician. He was a, in a previous career a cardiovascular surgeon. And so he took this digital fingerprinting idea and began using it in the company that's now called MindStrong for digital phenotyping. What is that? It's very simple. It's using a measure through an app of how someone interacts with their keyboard. It's the taps, it's the scrolls, it's the clicks, it's all of that. 
and measuring that across time to create a set of potential biomarkers that have then been developed by taking hundreds, actually now thousands of people, and at the same time using gold standard reference tools, whether that is the PHQ-9 or a Hamilton depression score, or whether it's a neurocognitive battery, or even now doing the same kind of thing with neuroimaging, trying to find ways to validate those signals against gold standard measures and begin to say, do we have a way currently to use this smartphone device, to use these tools to begin to say, rather than having you to fill out a form every other day or every week, maybe we could get continuous, objective, passive measurement from the way you interact with your phone. Not what you type, but how you type. That's what MindStrong is all about. And how does that work? How does your, your swiping behavior show that you might be experiencing depression or something even more serious? Yeah, it's an interesting question. One would think that uh, those two things would be unrelated. What we're discovering is that in the same way that we say this is your lifeline, this is how you navigate the world, that the way you do that is reflected in changes in mood. Now, if that sounds surprising, um, and maybe it, it should be, um, I should point out that there's not a single measure. It's not as if we've simply said, oh, you know, the delay between hitting the spacebar and a character on the smartphone is the same as whatever your Hamilton depression score will be, or it's a predictor of relapse. It's not like that. There are a thousand potential biomarkers. There are hundreds that go together through machine learning to create the panel that we call a digital biomarker. And those, there's not one single event or one single operation on the phone that is predictive. It's a whole range of those put together. And interestingly, we can customize, the, uh, customize this. So as you might expect, the signals are a little bit different if you're 73 instead of 23, um, if you live in China versus living in the United States. So part of the work of MindStrong is identifying those signals in a customized, robust way that provides some clinically actionable signal that we can use for healthcare. And for someone who's listening or watching who doesn't, you know, doesn't have a background in science, what is a biomarker, briefly? Yeah, a biomarker. Um, we know biomarkers mostly through the rest of medicine. So in diabetes care, we used to use glucose. Now we use something called the hemoglobin A1C. Uh, in the case of monitoring your hypertension, we look at blood pressure. It's a biomarker. For prostate cancer, we have the PSA. We have a whole range of tests in medicine, often blood-based tests that we use as objective, robust measures that tell us how somebody is progressing in the course of their illness or whether they meet the criteria for an illness. Part of what's really been a handicap for us in the whole realm of mental illness is that we do not have biomarkers at this point that are clinically useful. Uh, there's been a tremendous amount of research around this looking for markers in blood and markers in the brain through imaging we still lack anything that has a clinical validity to it as a biomarker for either diagnosis or for monitoring care. The hope here is that by using the smartphone, we can begin to find those signals that actually will do for depression and PTSD and schizophrenia what the hemoglobin A1C has done for diabetes. Okay. And so, um, so if, if the app has 
indicated that you might be suffering from depression. What's next? What is the next step? Do you, does MindStrong yeah, tell you what to do? Yeah, that's absolutely the best question, Caitlin, because we often call these biomarkers, these digital signals, we call them digital smoke alarms. I mean, basically it's telling you that there's a problem that needs attention. That's important. It's not enough, right? It tells you that you need to do something. So what do you do? And what MindStrong's involved with now is creating what we often call the efferent loop, not just the afferent loop, but hey, there's a, there's a, a smoke signal here, but actually doing something to put out the fire. What would that be? Well, in our case, we have the advantage, again, of having a platform which everybody carries around in their pocket and which allows us not only to detect a problem but to deliver solutions. And those solutions could be a form of psychotherapy, it could be a form of education, it could be a form of connecting people to care so that it could be helpful not just for online but offline care. There's a whole range of resources that you can deliver through the phone so that people have access to them in real time that allow you to provide what we would call not only measurement-based care, but connected care. So it keeps in touch with people and it connects people to the resources, either online or offline, that can make a difference once they're developing a problem. And so uh, cybersecurity is a big issue, and you talked about people within your organization, your president, um, co-president, who um, was a background in that. So can you talk about cybersecurity? Um, what, do you, how do, how, what do you say to people who might be worried about, okay, you're getting in my phone, like, what yeah. I worry about their data? Should, what do you say to that? Well, it certainly helps to have a founder who's got great expertise in security and knowing how uh, to handle questions around privacy. Um, there are several issues here that need a deep dive, and certainly we're in this era where so many of us have been burnt by bad behavior from tech companies. We often now talk about the tech lash, the backlash against tech companies because of the way they have mishandled our personal data, or people have been miseducated about what would happen to their data. So uh, at our company, and at most of the companies in this mental health space, and there are many now, um, this has become a major focus of figuring out how to do this with public trust, how to do this with tight security, with data protection. There are, of course, new regulations like the GDPR in Europe or the new California Consumer Privacy um, Law that just passed uh, last month here in California. We've gone way beyond those to make sure that the data that we collect is not only encrypted, but it's doubly protected. And most of all, it's set up in such a way that if someone is uncomfortable with what's happening with their data, they have full agency, full opportunity to be able to withdraw. So this is all about building a system that's not only effective in terms of its clinical value, but it earns public trust because it provides transparency, it cares about privacy and security, and most of all, it confers agency to the people whose data you're collecting. Those together, I think, can help us. What we've said is our North Star at MindStrong is the idea that we're empowering patients and families by giving them better data. And I think if we keep that as the North Star, as the way that we want to build a product that really helps people by giving them the best data we can give them, I think that actually goes a long way to building public trust. And so can you talk about how apps like this improve healthcare, mental healthcare, and then healthcare overall? 
You know, it's um, an interesting point in time. I think we're still early on in what will be, I think, a very exciting story. We may be in chapter one or chapter two where many apps and many companies have shown the feasibility and shown the power of the signals they can create or the value of the interventions they can deliver through the smartphone. What we don't know at this point is what the impact of this new technology will be on public health. We haven't yet had the deployment to millions or multi-millions of people in need to be able to say, hey, this de decreases suicide. This reduces hospitalization and emergency room visits. Um, this reduces the cost while improving the quality of care and giving us better outcomes. All of us want that. All of us are on that path. But I'd say here at the beginning of August 2018, we're not there yet. And so I believe you probably just answered my last question, but I'll just double check. Um, is this the future of healthcare? And if so, what are the limitations? What are the benefits? What are the limitations? Yeah, so what an interesting time we're in. I, I think it's fair to say that healthcare will be changing. And in some ways, we're slow to this change. And retail and entertainment and banking and so much of our society has already been transformed by this digital and information revolution. Um, it hasn't happened for healthcare. And maybe that's not surprising. It, maybe we should have expected that healthcare would be a little slow to the party. The fact that Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan have now come together to say, hey, we want to look at healthcare and we want to try to provide something that gets better outcomes at lower costs and is more acceptable to our employees. Um, that's interesting. And I think we'll see over the next couple of years that those companies and many others are going to begin to transform the way healthcare gets delivered. My guess is at the end of the day, we're not talking about a completely online system. Not only because we need to have surgical centers, we need ICUs, we need to have hospitals where people can get intensive care. But even for mental health care, it's likely that we will have both online and offline. And I think the future of mental health care is going to be both high-tech and high-touch. How we put those together and how we build both the high-tech and a better high-touch system is going to be really interesting. And we're going to see that over the next four or five years. Uh, MindStrong is one of many companies pushing on this high-tech side. But we recognize as well that tech is only going to go so far. And that when you're dealing with people with serious mental illness, you've got to have the high-touch piece as well. What we're banking on is that we can use, high, we can use the tech to get much better high-touch. And that, I think, will be the future of the mental health care system and the way that we're going to build it. So I do have one more question. Yes. <laughs> I was not. Uh, I had one more. I know I said it was my last. Um, so where where is MindStrong at this point? Um, where are you right now? And when will it be? Is it is it available for people? That where are you? Right. So MindStrong is a work in progress. It's a company that's a little over a year old, year and a half old, although it has about four or five years of data behind it. We are um, building the company um, through partnerships with um, mostly, at this point, healthcare providers and payers. So our interest is in creating a new healthcare company for mental health that will use technology. Um, we don't provide a consumer device or a consumer app. 
um, you uh, though the the app is on the as an you know, the Play Store and it's on the App Store. Um, it's not really set up for downloading for individuals to use for themselves. We want to use this within a healthcare setting, and so it's available through um, the research we're currently doing and the partnerships we currently have with a range of both academics for research and the partners that are payers and providers uh, for actually testing out what this does in healthcare. Well, sounds like there's some exciting times ahead. Super exciting. And, you know, I think for a lot of members of the APA, particularly for students who are thinking, like, what's my future all about? Um, it's important to recognize that this is a moment in time where the sands are shifting in the same way that a decade ago that would have been true for retail, for entertainment, for um, many aspects of our economy. Um, that's happening now in healthcare and in mental health care. Um, you know, Bill Gates famously said that um, things will change much less than we expect in the next two years and much more than we expect in the next 10. Um, and I think that's true for mental health care and technology as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Caitlin. Speaking of psychology, as part of the APA Podcast Network, which includes other great podcasts like APA Journal's Dialogue about the latest and most exciting psychological research and progress notes about the practice of psychology. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. You can also visit speakingofpsychology.org to view other episodes and resources about the topics we discuss. I'm your host, Caitlin Luna, for the American Psychological Association.